Hello, everyone. It is uh, Wednesday, August 16th, 2017, and this is the promotional malpractice live chat here on MMAfighting.com. My name is Luke Thomas. I'm the host of this podcast. We go for about 90 minutes, a little bit less today, um, due to the uh, sort of late start with the uh, Conor McGregor, Floyd Mayweather boxing, Nevada State Athletic Commission stuff, which I'll get to in just a second. But uh, anything you want to talk about is up for grabs. Best, best place to get your questions in, of course, is going to be on MMAfighting.com where this window is embedded. Um, and uh, a lot to get to, even though it's a bit of an off week um, here in the sport of MMA. Um, appreciate you guys tuning in. Some of you have been asking what Wonderboy Thompson's been up to. I had him on my radio show. You can check that out on my personal YouTube channel. Basically, he had surgery on his knee. He jacked it up. I think he tore two ligaments. But he wants to get back on that MSG card. So uh, he's asking for a fight against Jorge Masvidal. I'm going to try this. Honest T. There's stuff at the bottom. I guess you have to shake it. So, so. Okay. Let's get this going. Um, before we even get to the first question, we just have to go to the breaking news, really. So if you're just joining us, uh, or you're just sort of catching up with the news as we speak, like literally just minutes ago, the Nevada State Athletic Commission approved the use of eight-ounce gloves for Mayweather-McGregor. Shockingly. I did not think they would do that. Everything about this fight is shocking. Right, everything about this fight is shocking, including this. Um, for folks who may not realize, if you're 147 or super welterweight and down, it's supposed to be eight ounce gloves. If you are, and it can go above this, of course, but the dividing line is 147, 154. And if you're 154 and above, you have to have 10 ounce for what junior middleweight, I believe that is, uh, in boxing. And um, and of course, the bout was is contested at 154 pounds um, contractually, and uh, as a consequence, it's supposed to be 10-ounce gloves. In some, you know, pissing contest between these two, that is, to my knowledge, got started on social media, uh, Mayweather said, let's do it in 8-ounce gloves. Connor said, sure, I love taking requests. Only benefits me. Um, and both uh, his representative, a former UFC executive, by the way, Mark Michael Mersh, was there plus one of Floyd's guys, and they argued for it. And I'm telling you guys, like, even if you're a Connor fan and you're happy about this, or even if you're a Floyd fan and you're happy about this, whatever your perspective, you had to have seen this, this hearing. Wow. This deliberative body of significance, huh? Same organization, a few different members, but same organization that wanted to ban uh, Nick Diaz for five years for a third marijuana infraction. Understand something about this. First of all, here's how they defended it. One was they had a physician get up there. This was the most shocking one. They had a physician get up there and say, well, really the most important thing is the referee. Now, that is true. We've actually talked about that on this fight. Like, how do you keep fighters safe? Um, you know, obviously pre-screening as it relates to weight cutting is one, you know, adequate blood work, you know, to the extent you can do any kind of brain scans. Right, all these things can tell you about whether there's any warning signs on you should be on the lookout for. Um, and a referee in the middle of things can really make or break somebody. Um, I hate to say it, put it in those terms, but it's really quite true. 
So they, I think they uh, said, who was it? Robert Bird is going to be the referee who lets them get a little bit rough in there. So that benefits Connor as well. There's a lot of things benefiting Connor in that sense. Um, I don't know if it's a tremendous benefit, but I think it leans his direction. In any case, um, so he gets up there and says, well, the most important thing is the referee and, you know, one-time exception, okay. Then I think Skip Avancino gets up there and says something to the effect of, we've had these rules and they come from the fact that these rules have been in place since 2006, which itself came from an advisory committee we had established to foster the health and safety of the, <laughs> of the fighters. But I'm willing to make a one-time exception for this kind of cause. Yeah, I wonder why. Um, and then to sort of cover it all up, they'd be like, well, you know, what we really want to do is we want to get a study to see. Because he basically says, you know, uh, I think another commissioner says, you know, I was really, um, oh, I did some research on this. Now, understand, of Mayweather's 49 bouts, I think 48 of them have been in eight-ounce gloves. This is hardly new territory for him. But, but the point being is... Um, one of the commissioners says, well, it turns out that there's not a lot of scientific evidence that there's any kind of increased risk and danger because of glove size. So, like, I don't know which is it. You're willing to give up on your rules because you realize they're based in trash or that, or that you based your rules in trash to begin with or that you're making what seems like a medically dubious decision knowing that your rules are based in trash you're just going to double down on it. I like the way in which it is such a collection of fail with them every time. And then I think someone else gets up there. <laughs> oh, it's Anthony Mornell. <laughs> he gets up there and says, you know, I don't want us. I tell you, I don't like this commission being used as a, uh, as a pawn in a social media war. But I'll make a, <laughs> I'll make an exception in this case. Like, oh, my Oh my God. Oh my God. He went ahead and did it anyway. You know, it's like, yeah, you don't want to be used as a pawn for a fight that is a function of Floyd initially trolling on social media. And then it got pushed through media generally. And you don't want to be a pawn. Like, bro, you are the, I mean, you are the chess board. Uh, don't worry about being the pawn. You are the reason this game is being played to begin with. You know, and understand something about what this means. Like, in the end, maybe two ounces doesn't mean a lot. I think if you consulted experts, you'd probably get a diversity of opinion. Some would say it would matter pretty significantly. Some would say it would matter because it would give the harder puncher a little bit more advantage. Um, there's all kinds of ways to look at this and say that, you know, um, uh, it matters greatly or, hey, in the end, it won't really make a difference to who wins or loses. Um, so you can consult whoever you think is an appropriate source of authority on that. But understand this. Two ways to look at this. Let's start with the McGregor side. If McGregor, and I do not find this very likely, I find it likely that McGregor will not win. I do not find it likely that he will get, you know, stretched or something, right? I mean, that seems that seems pretty far-fetched. But let's say, just, just for the sake of argument, right? Crazier things have happened in sports, right? Let's just say for the sake of argument that McGregor gets stretched, yeah? Um, and, you know, it's a really bad KO, now, that would mean that you had a bad KO that happened after you approved a guy at 49-0 and versus a guy at 0-0, and, uh, and then you changed your own glove rules to accommodate a pissing contest between the two combatants, which you fully recognized was them using you. You had literally admitted it in the course of testimony that you knew the commission was being used as a social media 
or through social media where you being used as a pawn and yet you went ahead and still did it anyway wow that would look quite bad wouldn't it uh on the other hand uh what let's say something bad happens to mayweather as well you know um let's say he gets stretched now you wouldn't have the same 49-0 versus 0-0 situation but then you could say why did you not give this guy you sanctioned this fight so ostensibly you thought it was reasonably competitive why did you not why did you abridge your own or uh, why did you go around your own rules when there was no real compelling reason to do so other than to accommodate these two guys again which you fully acknowledged in the course of testimony was strictly a way to battle uh, um, on social media i mean they've they they i mean what a <laughs> i mean i they just they take your breath away they really do they take your breath away they they will it's that organization cannot function properly right and the reason why it can't function properly is because they are the foxes and the hens um and the organization charged with keeping the fighters safe and maintaining some degree of regularity and of course they do maintain some degree of regularity they're not completely asleep at the wheel i'm not suggesting as much right it'd be much worse if they weren't there um but to the extent you are a financial windfall for them all bets are off all bets are off you know we complained about floyd getting his court date moved or his his, um, his jail sentence moved so that he could you know um so that he could compete and this is not nearly the same level of that but you combine the power of mayweather when you combine it with the power of mcgregor it's a pretty potent combination they're basically going to get i mean they, they didn't ask for anything i thought too outrageous right they weren't asking for swords or to fight to the death but um they're able to get things that no one else would get for very good reason they even said like oh this will be a one-time exception yeah i hope i hope i hope it's a one-time exception i hope it doesn't blow up in your face because it might uh and if it does it will be very very bad it will be very very bad again i don't find that situation necessarily all that likely but you took a risk already sanctioning this contest and now you're gonna take another one with this and it's not even that like if you want to take risks okay if you want to say this is a little unconventional there are ways to accommodate but the logic they use i mean they straight up knew they were being used and did it anyway you know they, they just, they, I mean, Anthony Marnell literally in the course of testimony, yeah, yeah, this is, this is where it comes from, which he's like, I don't appreciate it, but, right, because that's, that business is important to you and you want to keep that business in the state. There's a complete conflict of interest in that job. Total conflict of interest. They, 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 everyone's like, well, what's wrong with these guys? Nothing. This is what will happen if you create an organization with a structure that is designed to do these kinds of things. It will inevitably fail. It is set up to fail. That's what it is set up to do. Not all the time, not every time. Again, I think in most cases, probably does enough of a job to keep people's, to keep fighters safe and to keep the sport, you know, reasonably well-regulated. Um, you need commissions, right? But the way in which it's structured, where they have to take into consideration um, what kind of financial windfall is coming their way and then to accommodate those people who are making those financial windfalls uh, happen for them. What a joke. What a total joke. Man. Unbelievable. So there you have it. Eight-ounce gloves. Mayweather versus McGregor at 100. Now, the uh, interesting part is um, Floyd was actually correct about something, wasn't he? Um, 
Floyd's guy says he's going to come in around 150. If you recall, he weighed in at 150 and a half against Canelo. Canelo had to make 152 for that one. And do you remember at the workout what Floyd said that Connor was weighing? He goes, yeah, I think he's about 160. Sure enough, Connor's guy gets up there today and says he's currently about 160. He should make 154, no problem. Um, which is probably true. So, uh, so yeah. <laughs> I mean, that commission will never it, literally as long as it exists in the in the way in which it does, where all these different considerations, are, as aforementioned, are in play, where they have to be concerned about tax rev and the powers that be who can bring tremendous revenue to the state and who have you know significant ability to um enrich not really their personal fortunes not, I, I don't they don't they don't get a cut like that but um you know it certainly looks good for them if the state is be playing host to these kinds of events um it will always function this way it will literally always function this way the issue is not those people although those people are obviously craven but they're craven in the service of a broken system, which you just got to witness. So, congratulations to them. All right, let's get to some of these questions, shall we? Man, unbelievable. <laughs> so funny. So it says, people are dismissing two ounces, but that's half the size of an MMA glove. Ounces matter. Yeah, I would agree. I think it does matter. Someone says, could you ever imagine that you would end up doing a Monday morning analyst about a sparring session on Connor and Pauly? Uh, no, I didn't. And this is a good point from Eric McGracken. Uh, yesterday, the Association of Ringside Physicians, doctors, wrote a letter to the commission saying, um, we don't think this is a good idea to drop the weight of the gloves. Um, when you have these regulations in place, we would caution strongly against this. And they went ahead and did it anyway. And in fact, they didn't even acknowledge that they had received a letter from the Association of Ringside Physicians at the meeting. What do you, I mean, what do you even say about these people? And here's the other funny part about this. Um, they're like, well, we're gonna do a, uh, you know, um, we we put it in 2006. We created these rules, you know. Um, they, you know, like Foghorn Leghorn. We created these rules, you know. And um, and uh, but we never had a study to verify. It's <laughs> not how they talk, but to verify whether or not they were backed in science. So I say to you today, sir, we should do this eight ounce agreement but we should do a study let me explain something to you i once tried to get a study done on injury rate in mma and it was a bit of an embarrassing moment because i was able to actually talk to some actual researchers at johns hopkins this is actually what they do uh memory johns hopkins did the original study in 2010 on the injury rates in mma and what they basically were saying was um 
you would need several million dollars to do a real study very effectively. Now, if they're going to use money from this fight um, to fund that, and if there's sufficient money to do it, fine. But I am skeptical of the claim that these guys are able to find the appropriate people to carry out an actual study whose results you could you could rely upon to make informed medical judgments. Um, so that's another component to this. Oh, well, now we'll allow a one-time exception, but, but, you know, we'll do that study now that we never got around to 11 years ago. Um, they are something else, man. They really are something else. They are really something else. So, man. I don't know. They, they, they really, they, they never stop surprising me. They never stop surprising me. It is, it, I am constantly amazed at how utterly inept they are. Um, but that's the way they're set up. They're set up to be that way. So there you go. All right. Let's move on beyond that now. Um, okay. Ferguson, Habib, Lee, love triangle. Look, why are the UFC doing a Lee Ferguson matchup when Lee is really far down the list of potential candidates for a shot at the interim strap? Is this because Habib and his health weight cutting cannot be trusted? He is just nowhere near ready, or will he not fight Ferguson as he feels he has a chance at a direct shot of McGregor upon his return? No, I think they wanted to do Habib versus um, Barboza. I think Habib lost an opportunity there, and they were trying to fill in the gaps to see what would make sense. And given who else is gone there, you have Gaethje gone, Alvarez gone, um, Michael Johnson just lost, Barboza and Habib tied together, sort of narrowed it down a little bit. I don't get why the UFC didn't just make the Habib Ferguson matchup and put Lee on the card also in order to step in if required. Would have made perfect sense to anyone, surely. I think they just wanted to, I, to go back. I think they said after Habib left them high and dry at 209 at the very last minute. And again, this is not like I made the weight safely and something crazy happened like your Ian McCall or something. Or, you know, you slipped on a pipe and hit your head. Um, it was through mismanagement of his own weight cut. And... I think they said you 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 have now taken a step back in the division, not because of a loss, but because of an inability to manage your weight. And you might say, "Well, I want to see Ferguson versus Habib more than I want to see Ferguson versus Lee." Totally understood. I, I think the UFC would even tell you that this is probably not a better fight, but they have some rules probably in place that make them want to say that fight's not possible right now. So here's what is. Let's make work with that. And uh, in the end, I think Ferguson versus Lee is actually a pretty tremendous matchup. Kind of fun. I think Lee is significantly more improved than we want to give credit to. But Ferguson, this could be his, not breakout moment, because I think he's already had that, but this could be his moment to really, you know, literally to become a UFC champion, however much you want to give weight to that interim title. So could be big. Could be big. And if Lee wins, um, however likely you think that might be, now you get, uh, if he wins, you have Mayweather and McGregor happening, and then you could potentially have one of McGregor's, excuse me, one of Mayweather's sparring partners from MMA um, with Kevin Lee fighting against him, depending on what happens in that contest. Now, I guess if McGregor wins, I don't know how likely it is he'll come back and defend his title anytime soon, but you get the idea. There would, there would be some kind of story tie in there that, you could have so it's not it's not an all is lost scenario i just think that there's a price to be paid if you leave the ufc at the altar 
because of weight cutting issues very late in the game. I think they'd say you're going to have to work your way back up again, at least a little bit, you know. And they did that here. Pick for the fight. Hmm. Probably go with Ferguson, but Lee is not to be trifled with. Uh, Dan Hardy analysis. Luke, Dan Hardy will be analyzing the Maymac fight over here in the UK in the Sky Sports broadcast. How highly do you rate his MMA analysis, and do you think he can make the transition to comment commenting on this boxing match? How well do you think he will do compared to Schaub, who will be in the same role but for Showtime in the States? I don't think Schaub's going to be on the broadcast of the fight itself. I think he's just a pre-fight and post-fight analyst. I could be wrong about that. Uh, Hardy provides some great pre-fight analysis segments on BT Sport in the UK and has also raised a potentially solid point in this fight. He stated that McGregor's ability to grapple in the clinch and create distance from his MMA experience will be a key weapon of his in this boxing match. Do you agree with this statement and have any further analysis you can make on the technical point of view? Well, so I'll I'll answer part of this. Um, I'll peel back the curtain a little bit. You guys know that next week, next Monday, is the Monday Morning Analyst where I took all of your questions and I submitted them to a bunch of experts. Uh, one of those experts is Dan Hardy. We actually spoke yesterday, as a matter of fact. So I've got that recorded. Um, and we answer a bunch of questions about the fights with Dan. Um, now, it's not like I didn't know this beforehand, but certainly that conversation yesterday confirmed to me that Dan Hardy is an absolutely excellent analyst. And more to the point, he was a good analyst when he first started doing analytical work. He's even better now. He has gotten better as an analyst. Not only that, it was pretty apparent to me when we were talking about Mayweather. And again, I want to save some of those details for Monday. But it was pretty apparent to me that when we were talking about Mayweather, that this guy had gone back and watched so many of his fights. How far back? I don't know how much, I don't know how, what of a, how much of an accessible library there is, but I mean, he was talking about Emmanuel Augustus fights and Valdemir fights and a bunch of stuff. You know, he really was sort of going way back into um, the deep cuts. And we, he was talking about th interesting things. Um, we were talking about innovation in boxing, and he was talking about some things. I won't spoil what it is, but it's actually a really cool observation that he had of something that Lomachenko does um, that is just amazing. And uh, Triple G as well. And so... Uh, I'll just say be on the lookout for that. But, I mean, I, I just want to make this point very, very clear. Dan Hardy is awesome. Very, very good. I've always been impressed with his analysis, and it's only getting better. You know, how far he can go, let's see, man. I like to see him step on the gas because um, he, number one, is very accommodating. Like, he, he gives a lot of his time to people who ask of it. And, uh, he, like as I mentioned before, he's getting better at watching tape each time. Like, already good and now, like, really, really good. Um you know, as somebody who watches a little bit of tape, I can tell when there's someone else out there who watches tape really well. And to be clear, he's infinitely better than me at it. Um, but I can tell he's got a real good eye for detail and good explanations, clear, concise. Um, and I think he's trying to be as fair as he can to Connor and as fair as he can to Floyd and honestly call it how he sees it. That's a good, another good thing about an analyst is sometimes they'll be right, sometimes they'll be wrong. But what you want from them is candor. Say what it is you mean. Make the case for it. And again, you're not always going to be right about it, but make the case. Uh, and he makes a pretty good case, you know. He makes a pretty good case. So I've been very impressed. Very, very impressed by Dan. And I think you guys will really enjoy. If everything... Jesus Christ. 
if everything comes together on this, uh, I think you guys will really like the next Monday Morning Analyst. There will be a lot to enjoy on that. I got some pretty cool people coming on. So Dan Hardy, chief among them. UFC 215 promotion versus Dana White's criticisms. Okay. How do you foresee the promotion of UFC 215 looking like after both champions fighting in the event were publicly criticized by Dana? Demetrius over the whole Dillashaw debacle and Nunes over the sinusitis-related pullout of UFC 213. Will Dana's criticisms ultimately affect the overall success of that card? Or has this repeated behavior of Dana's, recent criticisms of Woodley included, become, quote, white noise to fans? That's funny. If these vocal and seemingly counterproductive remarks about UFC fighters and champions, no less, are having a financial impact on an organization attempting to recoup profits after a $4. billion purchase, what do they do with their promoter? Well, I mean, let's be clear about this. I don't think, even if White was out there saying the most positive things about Demetrius Johnson versus Ray Borg and Amanda Nunes versus Valentina Shevchenko, I don't think we would expect necessarily a tremendous buy rate, um, to be clear about that. I don't, I don't know that the market would bear that out. However, I think what you can say is um, whatever its max is, we, you can guarantee it won't even come close to that, right? There is a cost to be paid for him doing this. This is not something he says, and it has absolutely no financial bearing. I mean, Dana is a lot more polarizing as a figure than he once was. He used to sort of say whatever he said used to be gospel. Those days appear to be quite over. However, um, one of the things he has intuitively always gotten correct, as I mentioned on previous chats, is not so much the bashing necessarily of fighters. I think, again, that has a real cost that has to be answered for, but rather that he naturally speaks for the fans in a lot of ways. And when he says, who would want to see Tyron Woodley fight, or pay to see Tyron Woodley fight, rather, um, it's not something I agree with. Uh, and I don't know if that's the best way to handle it, but I do know that there is something to be said for the authenticity of the fan um, the upset fan there who felt like they didn't get their money's worth with that particular uh, bout. And he has always intuitively done that. He is, he is naturally good at that. So as a consequence, there is a bit of a lockstep in thought. And I think some people, whenever they hear Dana say something now, they tune him out or they want to do the opposite. So it's again, it's not like it used to be. But there are still a lot of people who, when they hear that, they think, yeah, you know what? You're right. You know, Amanda Nunes, she pulled out because she had a stuffy nose. I don't want to see her. And Demetrius, he didn't really want a tough challenge. He just wants to break the record. Uh, I don't really want to give money to those two. Um, I, I absolutely think it will have a financial impact. So I thought there would be some kind of come-to-Jesus moment about this years ago because this is not new. He's been doing this for a very long time. It just used to be cheerleaded. Uh, and a lot of it was directed at, other organizations at a time where the talent roster was more splintered, right? So believe it or not, Dana White was pumping up Gan McGee versus Tim Sylvia at the time when Fedor was in pride. It was a different media climate. It was a different visibility for MMA, but it was a lot easier to bash, to, to unleash on people um, and other competitors when there was a lot of competitors around. Now there's not a lot of competitors. So I think a lot of that ire has been turned a little bit inward. Uh, that's another big component, I think, to it. So um, in the end, the, I, I, I thought they would, they would have done something about this a long time ago, but they really haven't. And I don't know why it would change here. I think they're just sort of willing to accept that there is probably a cost to be paid for this, but they want to keep paying it because 
maybe they don't see it as substantial and maybe they don't see us quite as negatively as some of us might. I've, I've, I have long wondered when there would be some kind of strategic shift about messaging and, um, you know, even, even George St. Pierre, George St. Pierre owes this company, you know, that caused a big rift, um, a big rift. And, uh, you know, was it really hell to pay about that internally? Not, not from what I can tell. And that's, you know, tip of the iceberg. You can pick your various beefs that he's had over the years, you know. Uh, where does Habib go from here? The rumors are true, and there's an interim lightweight title fight between Ferguson and Lee. It's not a rumor. Dana White said it. Now, whether or not it's signed, I don't know, but it's not a rumor. Where does Habib go from here? It seems the UFC is moving forward on the interest between Ferguson and Lee and is hesitant to book Habib in other high-profile fights that he could fall out of. Mm, not quite true. I mean, Barboza is not a small fight. I mean, it's not promotionally setting the world on fire, but that's a pretty serious challenge. With Connor boxing Mayweather, Ferguson Lee likely being booked, and Alvarez Gaethje coaching tough, who makes sense to go against the number one ranked lightweight Habib Nurmagomedov? Um... Yeah, someone's like, easy. Connor said he'd fight Habib in Russia next. I don't know. He might have to wait a while. He might have to look back further into the um, into the rankings. But if he's looking for someone in that space, to your point, there literally is no one. Um, or wait for Barboza to heal off, was it shoulder surgery? Something like that. So, um, but there's a cost to be paid for missing weight like that. And, you know, I'd rather do that than take money from a guy's purse. Of course, if you don't make the money, there's nothing to take. But I mean, as a ma it, it, you know, if he had gone through with it, or um, you know, because the issue was he did not really. He did, I mean, he didn't miss weight. He didn't make weight. Like he didn't. He didn't even get to the scales, right? So it's one thing to not make weight, then you go through with the fight and you take a, some from his money. Um, I think the bigger one is like we're just you know you're just you you just lost out on opportunity. Of course, if he had fought for that title at that point, it would have been a moot, moot point. But um, there are other ways to construct this to to take away opportunities that would be. I think the right way to go about it. All right, true-false. If that left cross didn't land before pushing Paulie's neck down, okay, then it wasn't a knockdown. If that left cross didn't land, uh, if that's true, then yes, it wasn't a knockdown. So if it's true, if then, true. But if you watch the Monday Morning Analyst, uh, it's a little bit inconclusive. It looks like it glances... It's just hard to tell. Or maybe it lands clean. There's just really no way to, no way to know. Uh, Tony Ferguson beats Kevin Lee. I think so, but mm, we'll see. I'll say true for now, but Floyd finishes Connor. False. What Donald Trump said yesterday was disgusting. Just about everything that buffoon says is disgusting. Uh, Tyron Woodley, after having fought two specialists back-to-back, -back, has now become almost impossible to beat for the future title challengers. False. Do you know why? It's, but has he gotten probably significantly better as a consequence? Yes. Dana White saying the Connor Pauly sparring was a one-sided beating for 12 rounds is 90% a lie. False. Connor doing this, oh, the noodle arm thing, actually shows off good mobility in his joints and is actually not silly. Agreed. I mean, it looks silly, but uh, it's good. Like, uh, the per people who should be able to, like, if you have, like, really well-muscled shoulders, you shouldn't be able to do that very easily. Because the muscles will actually, con you know, um, they'll, they'll they'll contract not necessarily contract, but they'll prevent mobility. That's why stretching is a key component. So all these bodybuilders they can't hardly move, right? Because they're 
you know, they're jacked to the tits um, and they have mobility issues. Uh, so if you can do that, and he obviously looks, you know, he doesn't look like a bodybuilder, Conor McGregor, but certainly looks pretty damn fit. Um, I think the mobility is good. It's, it's, I said the same thing on the Monday morning analyst. I think the mobility is a good thing in that case. All right, Cruz Wonderboy, Duke and Wah. Any updates? Yes, I'll give you one on Wonderboy. Look again, looking for that November 4th card against Jorge Masvidal. Uh, Cruz, I don't know, and Duke and Wah, I don't know. Unfortunately. Mickey Gall, MIA. Luke, Mickey's last fight was in December, and he has nothing currently booked. Any word on his future? And also, do you think his inactivity is a deliberate decision on his part to get more training in? Or is the UFC putting him on ice for a bit for punishment for choking out the Golden Boy? No, I actually spoke to him at the beginning of the summer, and he told me he wasn't even looking to fight in the summer later on in the fall. So that actually would make sense. That actually would make sense. Um, I don't. I just don't think he's looking to. I th I think he's looking to get in reps in the gym, because he knows with each incremental challenge, it's going to be harder and harder to get find someone to fight. Um, if he's not having proper development. In, in his skills, right? Uh, vacation. Look, is the reason you're taking a vacation because you're tired of all the Mayweather McGregor hoopla? Well, uh, I'm not taking a vacation until after Triple G Canelo, so I'm not sure how to answer that. I, I am looking forward to not having to talk about this. I mean, if McGregor wins, we'll never stop talking about it you know, which would be a different scenario about why you would want to keep talking about it. But um, if if you assume that Mayweather is basically just going to win, maybe, maybe it doesn't shine, but wins, you know, and it ultimately ends up being what you think it's going to be where first few rounds are kind of interesting, and then over time Mayweather's just too much for him. Um, then you definitely want this to be over. It would, if, if, Connor wins, I mean, it would be such an earth-shattering moment in sports that not only would you not be able to not talk about it anymore, but that uh, you wouldn't want to because at that point he would be calling. I mean, literally, here's the interesting thing about this. I mean, think about how crazy this sounds, but it's true. Um, if Connor beats Floyd, number one, on its own terms, that would be, you know, earthquake-level sports event, right? Number two, there would be a rematch. Number three, think about this. So that fight's on August 26th. On the 16th of September is Canelo Triple G. Literally the winner of that fight, I would anticipate calling out Connor. Now think about that for a second. You've got, you would have Tony Ferguson and Kevin Lee being like, I want to get this, <coughs> I want to get past this jabroni because I want to get my hands on Connor. And then the other guys in boxing would be saying, you know what? Um, I'm going to show you, I'm going to pick up where Floyd failed or, you know, whatever, something like that. Can you imagine, can you imagine how utterly twilight zone that would be? It would be the craziest of the crazy. And that is essentially a real possibility you have to entertain here. You know, I'm not like Max Kellerman, 0% chance. You see Max Kellerman on Desus versus Mero. Max Kellerman's like, no, there's 0% chance. All right, all right, Matt. I mean, look, I think Mayweather's going to win, but you see those things like that, and you, you begin to get, you know, eyebrow raise a little bit. Really? No chance? Like I'm fighting him or something? 
I don't believe that, Max. Um, it kind of feels like the promotion has peaked too soon. I'm sure I'll turn out to be wrong, and next week we'll provide some crazy quotes and stories. But at the minute, I can't even imagine what more can be said or what more can be broken down that hasn't already. There actually is a lot more, not so much to be said about it necessarily, but broken down, yes. In terms of technique, I really think that that video on I'm doing um, for the site on Monday, I think you guys will really enjoy that. And um, uh, here's what's going to happen next week. Next week, we're going to get there, and what will happen is you won't hear so much about Connor. I mean, you'll, you'll see some profile pieces, right? There'll be some big magazine pieces that will come out about both guys and what the situation means and something akin to that ESPN piece about Connor and his Crumlin roots, whatever you know, artistic licensing the writer may have taken with them. So things like that will happen, but what's really going to happen is it's going to be um, – it's going to be because all, all the celebrities are going to be in Las Vegas and all the fight luminaries are going to be there from boxing and MMA. And what's going to happen is that there's, they are going to be the ones making headlines about this fight, right? So I'm sure Deontay Wilder is going to show up. Deontay Wilder is going to give his opinion and Lennox Lewis is going to show up and Lennox Lewis is going to give his opinion and Uriah Faber is going to show up and Uriah Faber's. It's going to be so much of that. Uh, somebody endorsing a viewpoint or something like that. It's exactly how it was for Mayweather Pacquiao. And then if it's anything like Mayweather Pacquiao, There'll be a coach's press conference, which should be kind of interesting. There'll be uh, uh, there might be one more press conference that week. They might face off one more time, and and then weigh-ins, and then that's it, man. But by the time weigh-ins are there, you know, man, I can't believe I'm saying it. Twilight Zone stuff. And if Connor wins, it's going to be Twilight Zone inside the Twilight Zone. It's going to be it's going to be like Inception, where it's you know. It's a it's a it's a dream inside of a dream inside of a dream inside of a dream, and you just sort of get lost. You have to have the spindle to know whether or not if it falls over, you're you know you're in a dream or not. Refresh this. Crazy times, y'all. I know that. All right, let's see here. Uh, World's Strongest Man, 2017. Hi, Luke. I know this is an unrelated MMA question, but do you know why there's been a delay on television coverage for the event which took place in May? They always do this. Also, guys, I highly recommend you check out Eddie Strongman. I think it's just called Strongman on Netflix, right? I don't think it's called Eddie Strongman, is it? Yeah, it's just called, well, no, Eddie colon strongman there you go or strongman i don't know i'm pulling it up here yeah eddie dash strongman in any case um on uh, netflix yeah it's very good i've seen it um also generation iron 2 is out as well you should check that out rich piana is uh, everyone's favorite vegan natty lifter although he is in a terrible medical condition but he is in there as well um, okay, they always do this. The people who run World's Strongest Man chronically mismanage the sport in a way that is shocking. I, I don't. I, I would have to understand. I would have to talk to them to understand it because what they do is they put it in a remote part of the world. I think it's in Botswana this past year. Um, you know, I'm sure it's a wonderful place, but it's not exactly a 
hub of media activity. They shoot everything well in advance, and then they embargo the results. Uh, I mean, you can know the results, but they embargo the, the their own media entities talking about it um, until they've aired everything. Now, if you have CBS Sports, the channel, the TV channel, I've actually I got YouTube TV, so I've been recording it. Um, they've shown a lot, and um, but I haven't seen like the way they've been editing it is. They edit it like it's American Ninja Warrior almost, where, you know, you watch American Ninja Warrior, people literally cheer the entire time they go through the obstacle, like they don't stop cheering, kind of like the Tough House. It's a little bit like that, which doesn't doesn't make it feel like a real sport, because part of American Ninja Warrior's appeal is that, hey, so-and-so is a, you know, um, computer programmer by day, but he's got trench coat mafia grip strength, or, you know, <coughs> something weird about him. So it looked like some nerd who's malnourished, and then he's got grips like Harambe. And then he goes across, and everyone's like, yeah, you're cheering on an amateur. You know, these guys are not amateurs. Brian Shaw is not an amateur. Eddie Hall is not an amateur. Hathor Bjornsson is not an amateur, right? These are super high-level pros. Um, so I, they present it in a weird way. They embargo the results. They put it where no one can go to it. And then they air it piecemeal in prepackaged ways months later it is currently airing on youtube or on um, cbs sports but you have to you have to set up your recording device to to get it and i don't understand that at all i've actually tried to get shaw and hall on my show right after the last year's world's strongest man and this year and the events people are always like well we can't until the results are all the way in i'm like when's that going to be they're like ah six months i'm almost like i'm like all right no one cares like no one cares then. I don't, I don't, I don't, I would really like to know why they do that. There must be do that. There must be some reason that I'm not understanding about this, but it ruins everything for me because I wanted to see the Viking press issue that prevented um, Thor, which is the mountain from Game of Thrones, from winning this past year. I would like to have seen more coverage of that. All that you saw was from Instagram. They really do an absolutely poor job. And then you got the CrossFit Games, which airs. Um, I think relatively close to real time, like they air it within days or the day of, of it actually taking place. And that is, I mean, to call that a non, Jesus Christ, to call that a non-spectator friendly sport would be the most charitable thing you could possibly say about it. Painful to watch, quite literally, painful. I literally get like a backache watching it um, and it's boring. So I don't. But at least they air it in a time that makes sense. I mean, I just don't understand what World's Strongest Man is doing. It could be much bigger than it is, and they purposely find ways to bear. Did you see? Uh, speaking of strongmen, did you see Marius Pujanowski is fighting KSW October in Ireland? Five-time World's Strongest Man. Yeah, Pujanowski is a beast. Super, super strong. Um. All right. Now that the 155-pound interim. Someone says, or it should be shown live or at least edited footage on the day. It is a great spectator sport. Who doesn't enjoy watching or seeing who can lift the heaviest object or pull the heaviest things? It's perfect in its simplicity. Like athletics, it's compelling viewing to see who can throw something the furthest or run the fastest. I agree. And they and they even do like cartoonish things where they'll, they'll do the last set of deadlifts they did, the last event on deadlifts. What they did is they did those like old 19, like turn of the century. You know, you, you ever see those old turn of the century weights where the guy will grip the bar? And then on either side, the bell will be like, you know, super oversized. 
they did that with the deadlift bar and they did it on a deficit pull. So a deficit pull is you have a normal platform and you're gripping the bar, whether it's sumo or it's conventional, that's a normal deadlift. A deficit is where it'll put something under your feet to raise you. So you have to actually get down further to pull. It actually helps with force production off the ground. They actually made them do deficit pulls off of what it would normally be what the bar position was. And then they had these supersized cartoonish weights on either side. So it created this like really compelling visual experience. And then they buried it for six months. So great. A Volcan Ozdemir hype train. Uh, obviously, his most recent performances have been great, but I'm curious what you think his true potential is. Having gone back and watched his Bellator fight against Kelly Anunson, uh, do you think he'd match up against a top-tier grappler? It seems sure to my untrained eye that the UFC did him a big favor by letting him fight guys like, or did him a big favor by letting guys like Ryan Bader and Phil Davis leave. I mean, look, you beat guy guys. It, it, it's it's always the same thing whenever you see a situation like this. Um, whenever you see somebody beat someone in very, very quick fashion, you know that that probably didn't happen by accident, especially in the case of Volkan Ozdemir, where it's happened a number of different times, yeah? So clearly he's got, um, he, he has tremendous power, fast hands, he gets right to work. You know, that, he, is, he is a force to be reckoned with, especially in that space. Um, but to your point, and in the OSP fight, I think, went the distance, if I'm not mistaken, but to your point, you don't get a full, real, clear understanding of him or her until you've seen a lot more time on the mat. And that isn't just merely the same kind of fighters and then the fights go longer, but really different kinds of challenges. And so he's fought a number of different guys through his career. And Kelly Nunson doesn't have a big name, but was, is a good grappler. Um, but it'd be nice to see him tested at this level against someone who's got a little bit of different abilities than, say, Jimmy Manoa or... I mean, Serkinov was supposed to be that guy, and then Serkinov got bludgeoned out. But I know what you mean. Always before you can be sure about somebody... You've got to see them over the long haul, and you got to see them against a bunch of different kinds of um, styles. And then you can begin to say, okay, we have a pretty decent composite picture. But if a guy's got five wins and they're all first-round knockouts, I've said it before, you see a prospect come in, right? Okay, let's say they've got seven fights, seven first-round TKOs or KOs, right? All of them. You know that dude can thump, clearly. But you don't know what happens if they match up with a guy who can take a shot. You don't know necessarily what happens if they get taken down by someone who's really good or get their back taken or what happens when they get tired or how easily they get tired or what happens when, you know, there's all different kinds of scenarios that have to be tested out. And so with Volcan, obviously he looks very good. And Anthony Johnson has said that, I mean, the most praiseworthy things you can say about a guy, I mean, how hard he works in the gym. But I know everyone says that, but you should have seen him provide testimony for it. It was, it was impassioned. Yeah. And so uh, I'm willing to believe he's quite, quite good, but, Yes, there's a case to be made. We should see more of this before we get too, too, too excited about it. All right. Frank Mir, do you see any scenario where Frank Mir doesn't fight Fedor next now that he is signed with Bellator? Seems like the most obvious one, right? I mean, I don't... You never know with Bellator, but... And, they, and I believe he owes them one more fight. From Fedor. It's a two-fight deal. That was the one against Matt was the first one. So I believe he owes them another one. So I guess we'll see. Luke, do you think Kevin Lee is getting used to put pressure on Habib to was to sign with the Ferguson? 
We've seen Dana lie to the media many times, and I still haven't seen an official message from the UFC. Could it be that they are trying to use Lee to put pressure on Habib? Possible. Possible. Um, I don't think it's the likely scenario in this particular case because we know that, that they were trying to give uh, Habib a different fight, but it's possible. Deeper question. UFC Dana White and fragile egos. Okay. Uh, I'm consistently baffled by white UFC's overreactions to things. So DJ, Noons, Woodley. I feel like it should be nearly impossible to run a multi-billion dollar company with an ego so fragile. And that makes me wonder, is it all perhaps a carefully crafted persona used to manipulate in some way that just doesn't make sense to us? My question to you is, do you think that all the overreactions and blasting of his own stars are honestly the rantings of a petulant and angry man, or is it all deliberately manicured to present some image that whose purpose is yet unclear to us? Yeah, I've said it before. I'll say it again. I, he, I think you could accuse Dana White of being many things, um, both good and bad, but I, I don't think what you can accuse him of is not being a genuine fight fan. And whether or not strategically this makes the most sense, as I said at the beginning of the chat, um, he speaks as one. You know, you, you, if Dana White goes out there and hears 16 or 17,000 people booing, you can expect that he'll say something in intellectual lockstep with that. He, not to say he doesn't go against his own fan base at times, but um, I think more often than not, he's got a real good sense of where they are, and I think his judgments typically align in that direction as well. So I don't think he has to really work around it too much. Um you know, and to be fair to him, he also has no problems going up against his own fan base and pissing them off, which I think you've seen that as well. But I don't, I don't think it's a carefully crafted persona at all. If anything, the problem with it is that it is impromptu and reckless, not carefully constructed. It's the opposite of careful. Um, this is an interesting one. With all the Mayweather-McGregor coverage, I wanted to bring another perspective that I got from one of Robin Black's podcasts, okay? One of his arguments in favor of McGregor for this fight is the theory of disruption and that change to a hyper-specialized niche market or discipline like boxing, for example, uh, can only come from the outside. Like, for example, Uber to the taxi services or Airbnb to hotel chains. Um, what do you make of this theory, or do you really think that Connor can be boxing's Uber? I must admit that I tend to agree, even if I still see Mayweather winning. Well, I think there's something to that and something not to that. Number one, I would be a little bit careful about using the, th the, the examples of Uber and Airbnb because they are competing for customer services, but they're not competing on the, the taxi or hotel services terms. The reason why it's disruption is because... Um, Uber is not trying to get the city to give them a uh, medallion to run a taxi cab. They're trying to circumvent that system altogether. Same with Airbnb. Um, there is some overlap with hotel rooms, but uh, what they're trying to do is to circumvent the lock on the industry, the essentially, you know, the 
so I wouldn't call it hospitality exactly, but something like the hospitality industry. Um, actually, you know what? I've, I've talked about him before. Ben Thompson of Stratechery has a really great argument about this. What is it that hotels sell you, right? It's a bed, right? But that's not really what they sell you. What they really sell you is trust. That's what the hotel, like when you, when you sign up for your hotel, whether it's Motel 6 or the W or something in between, what you're getting is, yes, you know, reasonable accommodations, place to shower, place to sleep, you know, maybe a place to watch a little TV, something like that. Um, and it's, it's, it's also trust and security. You trust that your money is not going to be stolen. You trust that no one's going to barge in at night and take your things. There's a, just a degree at which you know this transaction will happen in an above board way. And it used to be that there was bread and breakfasts, but these were hard to find. And not everyone wants exactly that experience, which is sort of like a quaint uh, uh, one to begin with. What Airbnb did was provide that measure of trust in the experience, only empowering in this atomized way all of these other vendors, these vendors being you, me, whoever else put up their homes or their apartments or their beach houses or whatever they may be. But they're not competing directly. Like Uber is not trying to get a medallion and beat the taxi cab companies at their own game. They're just going around them and as a consequence, putting them out of business or at least, you know, certainly threatening their livelihood in a pretty dramatic way. Um, so I would be careful about the analogies. However, I do think there is something to the idea of MMA is innovating all the time and it's changing all the time. And so as a consequence, we're really sort of looking forward to seeing what kind of fresh perspective, especially somebody who's at the vanguard of MMA striking like Conor McGregor might bring to the boxing world. Is it true that the boxing world has it all figured out? Or is it true that they certainly understand their sport quite well, but that there might be a little bit of groupthink and echo chamber going on that prevents proper innovation over time? Dan Hardy and I discussed that very thing. And so, again, I don't want to give away some of the things he said. I, you know, he says it better than me and they're his ideas. I don't, want to, I don't want to take those away. But I think my general view would be um, I do think that innovation is possible. And I think we'll see if McGregor's that guy. I don't know. Um, but here's what I want to say. I agree that innovation is possible right? and, and, frankly, necessary. I bet there are a lot of things that the boxing world thinks that are for sure true that probably aren't. And you just need some guys to show you that to get some opening of uh, perspectives. On the other hand, I would be very, very, very cautious, very cautious about telling the boxing world that they don't know boxing. Um, because in order to tell someone in boxing that they don't know boxing, you better know boxing. Uh, and I don't know enough boxing to tell the boxing world that they don't know boxing. Does that make sense? Um, it would be, we're talking about something that is over a century old. And there are guys who have grown up doing it since they were six. And now they're in their 50s or 60s. Um, I am not here to say that they have all the answers. I am not here to say that their views on innovation are to be taken as gospel. But I am also saying that it would be very foolish to assume that this person is inept. It would be very foolish to assume that all of the people inside boxing have a poor command of something that has an enormously wide participatory um, rate and is an Olympic sport with a relative to MMA, much greater fleshed out amateur system um, and a much wider 
netcast globally on a professional system as well with decade upon decade upon decade upon decade upon decade upon decade of best practice evolution. You, you, you would have to be very careful to tell them they don't know what they're talking about, or at least that, you know, here's some innovation. But sometimes it takes courageous people to take risks to show that things can be done a bit of a different way. And is McGregor that way? I don't know. We'll have to see on the 26th. He certainly seems like a prime candidate for it, but I guess we'll have to see. But what I will say is Dan Hardy goes into this and talks about some things that other boxers are doing today to modernize and adapt the game. And that is a really cool portion of our conversation. UFC Fight Pass opportunities. I'm really enjoying the Tuesday Night Contender Series on UFC Fight Pass. Yes, it's great. Barring some technical difficulties that seem to occur each episode, I enjoy the production. Commentators, especially Paul Felder, who you have complimented, because Paul's amazing, and simply having more live fights to watch each week, especially when it's a down week like the last couple of weeks have been, right? What other products or content do you think UFC Fight Pass could benefit from adding, and or what do you see the as the future of the streaming platform? Uh, they're always going to get... I mean, I don't know Fight Pass's numbers to say this with extreme confidence, but with some confidence, I can tell you that uh, whatever is live will do best on there. So they might be able to do some live shows on there. They might be able to do some other live kinds of programming, but live is really what's going to be key for them. I don't know how much... Uh, I just don't know... Netflix is different because movies are this incredibly evergreen content, and to an extent, fights are as well. Um, as I mentioned before, I think MMA fights have a little bit more evergreen quality than a lot of other sporting events, but um, but typically, they need live content. That's where they're going to win. Original live content, which is why the Contender Series is so critical, uh, and in things like Invicta as well, because if the, if the majority of your best stuff it's going to go on pay-per-view or free television. You better get creative with what goes on your streaming platform. Um, and, of course, some good stuff goes in there as well. It's explicitly UFC content, but but live. Live is really going to be key for them. Anything live. Beyond that, it's going to be, I think, I won't say a struggle, but it might put a ceiling on how big it can be. And I'm thirsty today. Is this the one Moby makes? The honest tea. Is this Moby's stupid ass? Nobody listens to tech. No. All right. Let's see. Let's see. Update on Megan Anderson. I do not have one. Let me make a note about that. I got to make a note about seeing what she is up to. Let's see. Make a note. Megan Anderson update. No, I don't know what she's up to. It's a great question. Um, she effectively campaigned for the cyborg fight, promptly dropped out due to personal reasons, and I really haven't heard much about her lately. Any word on what the personal reasons were and whether she expects to have a fight book soon? She kept training after that, so I don't know exactly what what happened there. So it says, what would be more profitable for the UFC? Pay-per-views or all love cards, all live cards on Fight Pass at a slightly higher price? Uh, until they until they improve the subscriber base, that would be the pay-per-views. Quite obviously. Boy, a lot of questions about Dana White today. 
How much cash would it take for you to compete in either MMA or a grappling tournament big enough that fans could see? $100 million. I just have no interest. I have no interest. I have a stress-filled life as it is. Uh, I don't get to train. Even though I tra I'm in the gym constantly, I don't get to train in a way that I feel like is uh, enough to really make myself confident I could compete up to my own abilities. And um, I, I'm not good. <laughs> There's not much to see. So it's just for personal reasons, you know. Man, even more questions about Dana. Y'all are pissed about Dana. It's a good question. It didn't get wrecked, but I kind of like it. Given the age Connor claims he initially started boxing, 12, before he began learning other martial arts, and given the skills we know he possesses, work ethic, promotional wizardry, timing, accuracy, touch of death. Okay, it doesn't have the touch of death, but yes, he has a very hard left hand. If he had chosen to purely pursue boxing uh, professionally, is it reasonable to assume he could have achieved a similar level of success that he has achieved in MMA? He has all of the characteristics you would want, certainly in a prize fighter. But before we answer that question, and you know, he beat up on Paulie Malignaggi, so that's not nothing. But I really think we need to hold off on answering that question. Let's see how he looks against Floyd. Now, looking bad against Floyd is not a knock necessarily. Um, if that happens, if he looks good against Floyd, if he beats Floyd, well, of course, the answer would be, of course, yes. But I really feel like before we can answer that question, let's see how he looks. At this point, man, this fight is so crazy. We are living in a bizarro world. A million things I thought would never happen have all happened. I think it's time to just be, be quiet and let's just see how it looks. Let's just see how it goes. And let's see what we can learn from that. Because I feel like everyone's got assumptions about what is or isn't going to happen. And it feels like in one way or another, a lot of people, myself included, and many, many others have been have been wrong and wrong in ways, not even wrong, not even wrong, like wrong in ways we couldn't have even anticipated. So I'm going to just, let's just see how it looks on the 26th. And then we can come back and sort of say what it all means. Uh, setting aside Bloody Elbow Shirt Dog and MMA Junkie, what are some hidden gems in your list of MMA website reading listening list? Co-Main Event Podcast always delivers. But who are the up-and-comers in MMA podcasting? It seems like perhaps MMA podcasts are proliferating while blogs and long-form written work is dwindling. Um, Press Row with Jordan Breen. Uh, what else do I listen to? I don't listen to a lot of MMA podcasts, unfortunately. Oh, um, uh, Phil Daru's uh, Fight Strength podcast, just because I like you know, workout stuff, like workout science. Um... What other MMA podcasts? What heavy hands? Um, there are many other ones that I'll occasionally listen to, but those are my regulars, I guess. Of course, Co-Main Event is a good one. Um, MMA Beat, Monday Morning Analyst, right? Got to get a little self-plug in there. Um, I don't listen to a lot of MMA podcasts, to be honest. So you guys might know better than me. And as far as up-and-coming ones, there might be some good ones, but I I don't know. Most of the podcasts I listen to would be sports, general interest, or political. I wouldn't – I don't really spend a lot of time listening to MMA podcasts, unfortunately. Or maybe fortunately. I don't know. 
Connor posted a picture last night of him and Dana White with the caption, talking Zufa boxing with Dana White outside of UFC Performance Institute Las Vegas. Do you think there is a legitimate chance that Zufa boxing becomes a thing if McGregor comes out of this looking good? Yes. Yes, I told you. He came down the line wearing that Zufa boxing shirt at the Brooklyn Presser, and I asked him straight up, are you going to get into a boxing promotion? And his answer was, I don't know. We'll have to see, which is Dana White code for yes. Or at least there's interest there. You know, we'll have to see ultimately what happens, but do I think he's eyeballing it? Yes, yes, I do. And in what capacity and what that might look like, I don't know. But for sure, for sure. Uh, good question. No tune-up fights for Floyd. Hi, Luke. For a long-time listener, you've been a big proponent of tune-up fights and have pointed to boxing's model as an example for the UFC should bring fighters back into the fold. Indeed. Having said this, what do you make of Floyd Mayweather at 40 years old taking two, taking zero tune-up fights after a two-year layoff? So, number one, it could just be a dumb risk on his part. Let's sort of, like, acknowledge as much. Um, again, let's see what happens on Saturday. Not the Saturday, but the following, obviously. The other key component, though, is he's taken big breaks before and come back and looked amazing. So that's the issue. The issue is that this is not the first time he's taken years off and then come back and just started. Like, let's pull up his record here if we can. Um, wiki. Just have a gander at this. He has retired a couple of times, sensibly anyway, and then come back and looked amazing. So... So he fought 98, 99, 2000, 2001, 2, 3, 4, 5, 5, 6, 6, 7, 7. Took a break after beating Ricky Hatton, came back against Juan Manuel Marquez and absolutely crushed him. Um, then he fought once that year. He fought once in 2010. He fought once in 2011, once in 2012, twice in 2013 against Guerrero. And that was, of course, after coming back out of jail. Uh, and then twice against Maidana, then Pacquiao, and then Berto twice in 2015. He's actually been a little more active recently, but he has taken time off like this. Now, granted, he was a little bit younger, um, and then he looked amazing. So, going to be interesting to see. But I, I, the reason he, he is sort of an exception is because he has shown that he can take substantial time off and nothing is missing, you know, historically. Let's see. View schedule. UFC fan survey. Hi, Luke. I received a survey from the UFC a few months back with many questions revolving around how I make a decision to buy a pay-per-view. One of the questions asked about the importance of having a title fight headlining a card. I, and I'm sure many others, said it was an important feature on the card. Personally, I feel like it's a uh, Fox or FS1 card without a title fight. Could the UFC have taken the responses so literally that they think fans will view it, uh, will view a Fugazi interim title fight just the same way as a real one? Yeah. Yeah, you're telling them that's a major priority. And if they can't produce one, they probably think, well, better to have something on there than not. Uh, which apparently is part of the reason why this October card in Las Vegas is becoming a bit of an issue, that they didn't have champs, according to Ariel Hawani, they didn't have champs ready to go on seven weeks' notice to fill the card, so they're trying to find a backup option, and in this particular case, it's an interim title fight, including one that fans didn't necessarily ask for. Um, so, yeah, they absolutely... I mean, look, if you tell them they're asking you your, your opinion, if your opinion is, I want to see title fights, or it's really it makes a difference... If they can't find one, they just might make one. 
you know? All right. Thank God there are, oh, there's one Pauli question. I was just about to say, thank God there's no Pauli questions this week. Uh, Because, boy, I'm sick of talking about that. It's 2.15. Let us go to the Twitter machine. I'm at LThomasNews on Twitter, or you can use the hashtag ChatRappers, and I will try to answer your questions. Let us do that now. Okay. Could McGregor beat Mayweather if they fought while wearing roller skates? All right. What's the button I'm looking for? Here we go. Mute. There we are. Um, what was Ronaldo thinking when he pushed the referee? That if you're, I mean, everyone's like, Ronaldo dove. All right, he dove a little. I mean, I'm not immune to saying that, but what did Suarez do? Did he qualify for the Olympic team in diving for Uruguay? I mean, whatever he did was a thousand times worse. And I realize you can't shove a ref, but you know. Uh, did you watch Mike Oxlong break the deadlift world record this week? Uh, I heard about it. I have not seen it. Um, let's see. Oh, if you're on Instagram, uh, find – let me find them for you. These guys are amazing. Hold on. Here's, here's an Instagram recommendation for you guys. If you're um, an absolute degenerate like me. Here we go. Ready? Follow these guys. King of the lift. Of the lifts, excuse me. That's who you want right there. King of the lifts. They just constantly upload deadlift uh, videos all day long. It's great. Um, next for Derek Lewis. I don't know. I have to hear how he's doing. You thought if Connor went for May versus Mac because he was seeing himself becoming older and less capable of fighting. Mayweather, maybe, not Connor. <laughs> um, Rousey versus home. This is funny. Rousey versus home and Noons versus Rousey did 1.1 million pay per view buys. Can Cyborg versus home with the right card beat it? No. Does Ferguson with versus Lee being confirmed basically confirm the UFC wants McGregor Diaz three at the end of the year? I already know they want that. I can tell you they want that. Uh, who gets the bigger advantage with the eight ounce gloves? I would probably say Connor gets the bigger advantage. Is Floyd feeling the pressure to KO Connor? Or is he just selling the pay per view? I suspect he is just selling the pay per view. Now maybe that confidence will come back to bite him in the ass, but I think it's just he thinks it doesn't really matter what size gloves that he has up to a point. Um. Let's give him every conceivable advantage. So when he loses, in Floyd's mind, what will you say then? That kind of thing. Someone writes commission with two dollar signs on it. Unlikely, but what would happen to the NSAC if Connor is brutally beat down and receives life-changing injuries? Again, I find the likelihood of that to be very small. But it's a risk you're now having to take. I mean, there's always a risk. But if you are, if you wave the fact that a guy had no professional bouts in boxing and then now you're lowering the glove size and something really bad happens, uh, I don't know. I don't think – I don't know that there would be litigation involved or not. That's really sort of a complicated issue. But certainly there – I would anticipate that there would be quite a serious – I mean, because look. The point about Mayweather McGregor, if you're a cynic, is that 
you know, certainly some of the boxing media aren't even covering this. But if you're a true, like you really are, you know, uh, uh, you know, this is, I'm not even going to pay attention to it because it's wasting my time, right? That kind of thing. Like you're that kind of cynical. The point is you're not paying attention to it because ultimately not only do you think the result is in hand, you're not necessarily assuming that there's some tremendous physical risk that basically uh, you you believe in all likelihood that Connor will lose, will lose handily, and that will be the end of it. And so why am I going to pay attention to another Floyd Mayweather cash grab, right? But um, if you take that lingering, it's not merely indifference, it's almost anger, and now you add to it that a real medical tragedy or a real medically serious event happened, I suspect there would be really substantial media blowback and potentially some other... I mean, it, it's hard to say because it would have to be very, very bad. But if it was really bad enough, man, I, I don't want to speculate too much, but could, could you see other commissions speaking out about it? Could you see a wave of new regulations taking place? Could you see, um, you know, a change on who makes up the commission itself? I don't know. Again, I, I find this to be a little bit unlikely, but what they have done is while that scenario is unlikely, if in fact it does happen, they have now exposed themselves to risk. Um, I don't think Floyd can hurt Connor in that kind of way. I would, I, I'll be honest, I'd be very surprised if Floyd hurts Connor. Uh, I'm not say at all, but you know, in some kind of way that you know drops him several times. I mean, I just, I just, I would be very surprised. But now, if you allow. <laughs> They just they 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 are beyond rational description. They really are something insane. Ronaldo out for five games. Doesn't matter how much you get paid, you never put your hands on the ref. Yeah, I guess so. But you know these La Liga refs are arguably some of the worst in the sport. What military commanders? Uh, is everyone riding off Bisping? He is the justifiable favorite against GSP, but is also a far better place to negate Whitaker's advantages too. I wouldn't go so far as to say that. Whitaker had one or both of those advantages against both Romero and Jacare, not so much Bisping, who has those attributes and is also bigger and more experienced. Some of that is true, but I don't think Bisping moves quite like he used to. He obviously has had a ton of injuries. I'm not sure he can see like he needs to. Um, there's enough there to think that a younger, faster version and a very clever version like Whitaker would give us being some serious problems. But as it relates to GSP, I mean, GSP's been off for four years. How is he going to look? I have no clue. I have no clue. My hunch is that I think Bisping is being slipped on a little bit because he is bigger and because his technique, or rather his takedown defense has been refined over the years. I think there's something to be said for the fact that, you know, um, maybe people feel like he'll get taken down a little bit more easily. And at the end there, GSP was getting a shot stuffed a little bit more easily. Of course, that was also against a, a much better version of Johnny Hendricks than the one we have today. But um, mostly I think what you can say about that fight is not a lot of people care. <laughs> That's what I think you can mostly say. All right. Um, what did Jermaine Durandamy's contact say? Wait, what? Oh, that's hilarious. Someone writes, George St. Pierre says he has to defend the belt if he wins. It's in his contract. Yeah, they may have put that in there after. Um, well, I mean, there's also a very specific situation there where they don't want a guy coming back, winning the title, and then being like, peace out. I'm back to retiring again. That would be terrible. So 
I can understand why they would put that in there, whether it has anything to do with Jermaine Durandamy or not, you know. DC said on the MMA Hour that he wants a third fight with Jones, true or false. DC's best shot at a third fight would be to win a heavyweight belt. True. And I think it'd be a much more compelling fight up there anyway. Boy, a lot of soccer questions. Given Marco Asensio's talents, and he is a beast, do you think Real Madrid need Mbappe up front? Need? No, they don't need anybody up front. What front three do you want to see them play? Now, okay, two different questions, need and want. Um, I'll tell you this much. I don't mind if they got rid of Benzema, depending on who they brought in. And I don't mind them even getting rid of Bale, to be honest. Uh, I, I mean, I'm not... I'm not one of these guys who's like, Bale sucks, get rid of him, which you see some of that now from the Madrid fan base. But I can tell you this, each year, I mean, that first season he had in Madrid was incredible, right? And then every subsequent year has been like, mm, a lot of injuries. And the last year he just didn't necessarily do a whole lot relative to expectation anyway. And um, I think this year you're starting to see a lot of people, or not a lot, within the Madrid fan base, the amount of we don't need Bale sentiment, I'm not saying it is high, it is as high as it has ever been. Connor wobbled Floyd like Mosley did. Would you favor Floyd to recover or Connor to be able to finish him? I would favor Floyd to recover. I mean, Floyd has been hit by the heaviest punchers of his generation. Um, now, that Mosley who fought him was not the best version of Mosley, but Cotto, go back and watch the Cotto fight. Boy, Cotto was putting it on him. And he still managed to be all right. Berto Schaub have super skeptical hippo eyes at Floyd's physique. Does he undergo the same testing as his opponents? They're allegedly both tested by USADA, but your guess is as good as mine after what happened with the Pacquiao retroactive TUE. So <laughs> I have no idea. Is there a past event you can think of as uh, of similar magnitude to what will be like if Connor wins, no. To me, this would be much bigger than if than than uh, Buster Douglas beating Tyson. Much, 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 much bigger. Because you've had crossover athletes before, including in combat sports. I put something out on my um, uh, Facebook page as well as on Twitter, being like, name a combat sports athlete who has crossed over successfully at the highest level. And you can debate about what highest level means in this particular case. You know, I said Rousey would qualify because she got a medal at an Olympic sport. That's you know, that's pretty pretty damn successful you know that was your sister to be like my sister is a beast um but that lesnar wouldn't qualify because even though he got an ncaa title that's not i mean folk style is just an american thing it's not freestyle and um and also wwe doesn't count so lesnar as much of a beast as he is and as incredible as what he did was I'm not saying he's not an amazing athlete but that's not the question i'm asking but there's a lot of one that would qualify. There's a list of guys in Thai boxing who have done both Thai boxing and won, you know, real WBC, WBA belts. Um, Alistair Overeem has done it, who uh, won the K1 title as well as being a strike force champ. I, I, you know, I, I consider that to be success at the highest level. Certainly, you can name a gazillion wrestlers who have done really well at the highest level and um, come over and, and done well in MMA as well. So there's a lot of that. But there's it's usually someone who comes from a sport-specific end um, and then goes into MMA. There's not, that's not totally right. I mean, Overeem did a little bit of both early, so he kind of always had it both in his back pocket and then took a break from MMA to go do kickboxing. So he kind of bucks that trend. But the point being is, uh, you know, to have no professional boxing bouts and, 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 and 
Alistair did have professional boxing belts, of course, or uh, kickboxing belts before winning the K1 title, so even that doesn't hold up. But to have no professional bouts, to go in there and beat the best of the generation, yeah, two years off, yeah, eight-ounce gloves, whatever, man. You cannot make excuses for Floyd. You know, unless something is seriously wrong that we don't know about at this point, he looks to be in tremendous physical condition. He had every opportunity to train. He had every opportunity to diet. He has, obviously, as you know, every opportunity to define press and all the conditions he wants about making money and wh who comes in first and A side, B side. You guys know Floyd has every bit of um, leverage there and everything else he wants. Um, you know, he can, you can't make excuses. You cannot make excuses. Again, unless something terribly tragic happens between now and then or, you know, something really bad and unforeseen or, you know, totally out of left field. But basically otherwise, you know, for him to do what he did would be, I think, far outside the boundaries of even athletic crossover period. I mean, remember that one week where Deion Sanders – was it Deion Sanders? I think it was Deion Sanders – where Deion Sanders scored a touchdown for the Falcons and hit a home run for the Braves in the same week. You know, think think about how insane that is. About how ridiculously athletic Deion Sanders was in his prime. Bo Jackson, too. Remember Bo Jackson had the um shoulder pads and then had the bat over his uh over his uh his head. You know, that's what we're talking about here. I mean that it's that kind of athletic achievement to be able to do something like that. We're talking generational kind of thing. And it's happened before in other mainstream sports. And again, there has been crossover in combat sports, and frankly, a lot of crossover in combat sports, but not this particular kind with no professional experience in one. And really, yes, I know he grew up doing boxing, but really, you know, MMA is where he plied his trade. It's what he's been doing for most of his adult life. Um, so to go from MMA to boxing and then to beat the very best, I don't care what the odds say. I know the odds for for Buster Douglas were were way more uh, crazy. But I'm sorry. If Connor beats Floyd, that has to be one of the biggest, if not the biggest, sporting upset in my judgment. Not because of what the odds say, but because of what the truth says. That would be shocking. The odds say what they say because of how the betting public has forced the odds makers to go in certain directions or fo forced the lines to converge a little bit. But, man, I'm telling you, that would be... You may never see anything else like that again in your lifetime if he does that, man. Uh, that would be huge, 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 huge. A guy can never professionally box, barely amateur box, uh, win a UFC title, and then go fight the best of that generation and whoop up on him. I mean, that it boggles the mind to even anticipate that. And if that's what he does, that is that is truly exceptional. Take a few more of these. Any Floyd fight that you thought Floyd actually lost? No, I've never watched one and thought he lost. Steo fight. No. I mean, look, go watch the Zab Judah fight because that's pretty competitive. Do you think the sparring video hurt Malinaji versus McGregor if it's even a thing? You mean to tell me those guys couldn't sell a fight? Here's the only thing I'm going to say to you guys. If you're an MMA fan, what would you rather see? Connor versus not again. If you're a Connor fan and explicitly a Connor fan, you may have a slightly different calculus. But if you're an MMA fan and hey, you like Connor, but I'm really an MMA fan, you know, what would you rather see? Connor versus Paulie or Connor defending his lightweight title? I mean, come on, y'all. This is an easy call. It's got to be fighting an MMA for his lightweight title. Those are the more, I'm not saying they're the bigger bouts. Everyone's like, you'd make more money fighting Paulie. Great. But that doesn't, that means nothing to me. 
because whether he fights Paulie or whether he fights Habib or whoever on this side, I have to pay. I don't get any money. I can understand why he might want to fight Paulie, but that's got nothing to do with my preference. My preference as a consumer is to pay money for value. And the value for me is not in seeing him relive some old sparring wars over a guy who already retired. It's against Habib or Tony or Kevin Lee or whoever in their prime. That's what I want to see. By the way, he is the UFC lightweight champion of the world. It's the most competitive weight class. Let's see him get in there and compete. That's that's what I want to see because he's really good at that too. Maybe, in fact, a lot better at that than he probably is at boxing. So in all likelihood, right? So uh, let's see that. So I understand why he would want to do that. I get it completely. But as a fan, speaking, I have no interest in seeing him fight Malinaji, whether he beats Mayweather or doesn't. I want to see him in MMA because that's where he's really good. And it's where he has a title at the highest level, literally the highest level. Okay. I have to go. I appreciate you guys watching. Thank you so much. You can give the video a like. You can give the video, uh, uh, you can subscribe to MMA Fighting below. I always appreciate that. Uh, be on the lookout Monday for the Monday Morning Analyst. I hope it's really good. I'm trying. And uh, thank you guys so much for watching. I really appreciate it. Until next time, stay frosty.